Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, But realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men. Does this sound familiar to you? Is this not an accurate picture of the day in which we are living? You don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize that we're living in the last days. You don't have to be an expert in Bible prophecy to understand the times in which we're living. Now, you may say, Pastor, every generation has thought they are living in the last days. And while that is true, I do not believe that every generation has seen the deterioration of culture and society on the level or at the same accelerated pace that we are seeing in our world today. Consider with me for a moment, the world in which we live today. Crime is rampant in our cities, and not just the cities, it's in the small towns as well. Drug addiction is out of hand in our nation. And I'm not just talking about drugs like cocaine, marijuana, heroin, fentanyl, but many, many people in our country today are addicted to prescription drugs as well. Alcohol abuse is rampant. And it's not just in the country, but Fayette County has a problem with alcohol abuse. Look at the movies that are produced today, the music, the videos that our kids are watching on TikTok and on YouTube. This content does not glorify God or challenge people people to live godly lives, but quite the opposite. Sex trafficking is a major issue in our nation today. The destruction of the institution of marriage. Divorce rates are up. And not just outside of the church, but inside the church as well. How many single parent homes are there in this nation? How many of America's children are growing up without fathers? Another issue that we're dealing with in our country today is gender identity. Society is trying to confuse our children to make them believe that they are something other than what God created them, that they are the opposite of what God created them. We have issues still in this country with racism. Now, I want to say we have come a long way as a country in the issue of racism. I want to say that. But I want to say this. When we speak about racism, we need to stop acting like racism is just a black-white issue. It is not. As a man who is biracial, I am highly offended 
when the conversation about racism is just a black-white issue. My father, many times in his life, has been passed over for jobs by both blacks and whites that he was more qualified than. He has dealt with racism his whole life. Even me, being biracial growing up in South Texas, I experienced racism. Racism is not just a black-white issue. If we're going to talk about racism, we must talk about it across the board. And also, there is racism in every race, even against your own people. So we need to stop acting like this is just a black-white issue because it's not. It's a problem. Church, I want you to hear me today when I say our nation is in trouble. Our state is in trouble. Hear me when I say Fayette County is in trouble. And hear me when I say LaGrange, Texas is in trouble. Our culture, our society is on a path that is leading to destruction. Which then begs the question, what is it going to take to change this path that we're on? What will it take to change society, to change the culture? What will it take to change the morals and values of this nation? I can promise you this, church, the answer will not come from whoever sits in the Oval Office. The answer will not come from whoever controls the Senate or the House of Representatives. The answer will not come for whoever occupies the governor's office. And the answer will not come from whoever are our leaders in City Hall. For you see, the root of the problem we are facing today can be summarized in one word. And that word is sin. Sin is at the root of every problem that we are facing in our lives today. For we live in a broken and sinful world, and there is only one solution to this problem. There is only one remedy for the sickness that has plagued our nation. The only hope for us today is the gospel I'm sorry, I don't think you heard me. The only hope for the sickness in our land that we face today is the gospel. Thank you. Now I know you're awake. The only hope for a lost and dying world is the gospel. So this morning in the time that we have remaining, let us consider the words of the Apostle Paul found here in Romans chapter 1, 16 through 17, as he reminds us of why the gospel is our only hope. So if you would take your Bible, if you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you, and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. And if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 1, I'm actually going to back up a few verses and read 13 uh, through 16. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager Paul says, to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now, I want us to read this all together out loud, okay? Ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. You may be seated and may the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. The Apostle Paul was a man that had been taken captive by the gospel. You see, the gospel was the anchor which kept Paul grounded throughout all of life's storms. The gospel was the driving force of his life. In his letter to the church at Corinth, he said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You see, Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi. He had been chased out of Thessalonica. He had been smuggled out of Berea, laughed at in, at Athens. He had preached in Corinth where his message was foolishness to the Greeks and to a stumbling block to the Jews. And yet he was committed to sharing the gospel. No matter where Paul went, he was continually proclaiming the gospel. You see, it was the gospel that was compelling him, the gospel that was fueling his desire to go to Rome and to share the gospel with the church there in Rome. Again, verse 15 of Romans 1 says, so for my part, I am eager, Paul says, to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Again, and then 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For a man whose sole purpose was to proclaim the gospel, why does the Apostle Paul feel the need to give this little disclaimer and express that he is not ashamed of the gospel? Paul knew the temptation that exists to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul knew that there was a tendency among believers, not just then, but even to this day, to be embarrassed at times of the gospel or to even deny what they knew to be true. You see, being a Christian in Rome was not easy. It was difficult to live for the gospel. It was difficult to communicate the gospel. Rome at this time was considered the center of the universe. It was easy to be intimidated by the sheer size and power that was Rome. And do not forget that Rome was surrounded with many gods, and it was a, a pagan epicenter. Try walking into a crowd of people who have various beliefs and quote the words of Jesus when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Walk into a crowd of people who have various beliefs and say that and see how comfortable you feel. For you see, not everyone saw the good news of the gospel as good news. So why would one be ashamed of the gospel in this time? Well, the gospel was associated with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. Remember, the Romans did not like the Jews. So why would they want to be associated with a Jew who was supposedly the savior of the world. Crucifixion was the lowest form of execution given to a criminal. Why would you put your faith in a Jew who had been crucified? Rome was a very proud city, and the gospel came from Jerusalem, the capital of a little nation that Rome had conquered. 
Christians of this day were not among the elite of society, but they were the common people. Many of them were also slaves. So for the Romans, it was beneath their dignity to be a Christian. Rome was the center of great knowledge and thought. Rome had known many great thinkers, many great philosophers. And everywhere Paul went, he received pushback with this message, the gospel message that he received. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said, For the word of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, the gospel didn't make sense to a lot of people. All the Roman religions were based on their works, while Christianity was based on grace through faith. The gospel says you cannot do anything to get right with God. It is unlike any other religion in the world, Christianity. The temptation to be ashamed and to share the gospel is very real. And we face that same temptation in our day. You see, we fail to share the gospel because we're afraid of what people might think. We're afraid to share the gospel because we are fearful that it may cost us our jobs. It may cost us relationships with other people. Paul knew this fear, and yet he boldly proclaimed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because he knew that the gospel was good news. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. I ask you this question, why would anyone be ashamed of sharing good news? When you receive good news, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to tell someone else about it. The good news of the gospel is that there is a God in heaven who loved us so much that he did not want us to be eternally separated from him. So he came to earth and was born as a man, the God-man, Jesus And that he lived a sinless life, he perfectly fulfilled the law of God, and he went to the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. He gave his life as a ransom for the many, but he didn't stay dead. After three days, he got up from that tomb, and a number of days later, he ascended back to the Father with the promise that he would return. This is the good news of the gospel. It's good news because we don't have to earn God's love and forgiveness. It's freely given to us. All we have to do is what? Just receive it. Just receive. Pastor and author Tim Keller, who passed away not long ago, said this, quote, the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. But, on the other hand, you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hoped, end quote. The gospel is good news because it tells us what God has already done for us. Why, would one be, why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Now this power is something that Rome could understand. Romans understood power, for the Roman Empire was the most powerful nation in the world at their time. They were the superpower of the day. The Roman legions instilled fear 
in the hearts of their enemies because they were so powerful. They had the best equipment. They were a very large army. They were a sight to behold. But even as powerful as the Roman army was, their power was no match for the power of God and for the power of the gospel. For you see, the gospel has the power to transform lives. The gospel has the power to transform lives. And Paul understood this personally. Because remember, before he was known as Paul, he was known as Saul. And he was a Pharisee. And the Bible tells us that he was one of the best Pharisees, one of the brightest. Paul had a great future ahead of him. He was rising in the ranks of his field. He was really becoming a man of influence. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that he was present at the stoning of Stephen. That in fact, he was even there holding the coats of the men And not long after that, Paul was given authority by the high priests to go and to arrest Christians. And one day, while he was on the road to Damascus to go and arrest Christians, he had an encounter with the living Christ. He came face to face with the gospel, and he was forever changed as a result of it. He went from Saul the persecutor to being Paul the proclaimer of the gospel, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. You see, Paul knew if the gospel could transform his life, that it could could transform the lives of others as well. The power of the gospel can be seen at Pentecost. On that day when Peter stood up, filled of the Holy Spirit, and started to preach the gospel. In the book of Acts chapter 2, we're told that that day, 3,000 people responded to the gospel. And remember, they're only counting men. There were probably men or women and children that also responded. So you could double, maybe even triple that number that responded to the gospel. The gospel is so powerful that it can deliver a person from drug addiction. It can deliver the alcoholic from the bottle. It can take the most abusive man and make him gentle. And it can take the bitter and hard heart and make it soft. There is no greater power on earth than the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, and then verse 9, the apostle Paul says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serving a living and true God. That is the power of the gospel. Why was was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? For it was the power of God for what? Salvation. Salvation is the great need of mankind. There is not one person who has ever been born into this world that was not in need of salvation. Said another way, there is not a person on earth that does not need the gospel. If you are breathing today, then you need the gospel. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, we read about how Adam and Eve fell into temptation And they engaged in sin. And from that moment on, sin has been a problem for mankind. From that moment on, mankind has been bound by the chains of sin. 
We are very much like prisoners awaiting execution. We are very much like a swimmer that is drowning in a vast ocean. We are very much like an explorer who has stumbled into quicksand and is sinking. And there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. The gospel is God's reaching out to save perishing men and women. The hymn writer James Rowe captured this image beautifully in his hymn, Love Lifted Me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. We also see here the scope of salvation. Notice he says that it is for who? I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. The gospel is a universal message. Salvation is made available for everyone. Now, does this mean that everyone will be saved? No, it does not mean everyone will be saved. But you see, the gospel knows no barriers. Arguably the greatest or the most known scripture in all of the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I like how Dr. David Jeremiah said it, quote, there are no non-candidates for the gospel. Not everyone will be saved, but everyone can be saved, end quote. The gospel crosses all boundaries, race, culture, language, and socioeconomic status do not matter when it comes to the gospel. It reminds me of the little song I learned so long ago in kids' Sunday school. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Do you know there's a second verse to that song? It goes like this. Jesus died for all the children all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in his sight. Jesus died for all the children of the world. The gospel is for everyone, and it can save everyone. It's not just for a chosen few. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. While the gospel is available to all, it can and it will only save those who believe. You see, the gospel does not negate a person's free will. God does not force himself on people against their will. 
For the power of the gospel and salvation to be effective, the hearer of the gospel must respond in faith. They must believe. When Paul mentions the Jew or the Greek, he's not putting one above the other. He's simply speaking chronologically that the gospel first came to the Jewish people. Jesus' ministry was predominantly to the Jews. It would be the apostles, his followers, who would then go forth after his ascension into Gentile lands, spreading the gospel. And hence, why are we here, why we are here today? Again, this, Paul is making the point that the gospel is not just for a chosen few, but it's for all of mankind. Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Look at verse 17. For in it, in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. It's been said that verse 17 here is the key verse in Paul's letter to the Romans. For you see, it is in the gospel that God's righteousness is revealed. For in the death of Jesus, God revealed his righteousness, the fact that he is holy and just by punishing mankind's sin. And in the resurrection of Jesus, he revealed his righteousness by making salvation available to the believing sinner. The problem or the question of how can a holy and just God ever forgive sinners and still be holy is answered in the gospel. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 said this, he made, he being God, made him being Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, we need Christ's righteousness because we have none of our own. In chapter 3 of the book of Romans, in verse 10, Paul will tell us, for there are none righteous. No, not one. To be saved from God's wrath, we need a righteousness that comes from God and that will fully satisfy his demands. But I want you to key in on the word here, revealed. For in the righteousness of God, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. You see, this is something that God has to reveal to us. It's not something that we can come to or understand on our own. Unless God reveals it to us, we will never discover it. For you see, we don't just wake up one morning and decide, I need God in my life. But God reveals himself to us when we come face to face with Jesus Christ. When you come face to face with a holy and just God, you cannot help but be confronted with your own sinfulness. And the only way that sinful man can receive the righteousness of Christ is through faith. This is the verse that sparked the Protestant Reformation. This is the verse that Martin Luther wrestled with and that led him to walk away from being a monk, eventually walking away from the Catholic Church and the works righteousness that was being preached and taught there. This is the verse that he realized no righteousness comes only through faith. You cannot work for it. You cannot buy it. You can do nothing but accept it by faith. There's a line in the great hymn, Rock of Ages, that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Did you hear that? 
Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. From faith to faith simply means out of faith into faith. I love how one commentator said it. He said, quote, how you start the Christian life is in faith. How you live the Christian life is by faith. And finally, how you end your life is in faith, end quote. But the righteous man shall live by faith. This is a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And this is what the gospel-centered life looks like. It is a life that is completely dependent upon God. One commentator stated it like this, quote, It is possible for men and women to stand sinless before God. It is possible to know that one has eternal life. It is possible to be free from the frustration of trying to earn righteousness in heaven. The sole requirement is faith. Here is the greatest news ever proclaimed, end quote. So as we wrap up today, I would ask you this question. If the gospel is so powerful, if it is the power of God for salvation, if it has the ability to transform people's lives, then why are we losing ground in our culture today? Why are we losing ground? There can be only one answer, and it's this. We're not sharing the gospel. We're not sharing the gospel. It is a sad fact that most Christians will go throughout their lives without ever leading another person to Christ. Too many Christians have the mentality of, I have my fire insurance, I'm good. I'm good with God, and that's all I need to worry about. But is that the mindset we need to have? If God did not care about us sharing the gospel with other people, then why would he, why would he leave us here? Why would he not just take us after, back to heaven after we come to faith in Christ if he didn't care? He does care. Right? Jesus, one of the last things he told us was to make disciples of all nations. He told the apostles before he ascended, you, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God cares and wants and commands us to share the gospel. Another commentator said it like this, quote, the greatest joy in all the world is to know Christ as your Savior and Lord. The second greatest joy is to tell somebody about that Savior and Lord, end quote. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And let me just say, that's not preacher like what you see right here. Myself or Pastor Steve, who's called to vocational ministry. No, that's the uh, preacher as in someone who is a proclaimer of the good news. And guess what? We're all called to be proclaimers of the good news, the gospel. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. 
If revival is going to come to our land, it's going to be because of the gospel. Like Paul, the gospel must be the driving force of our lives. As a church, the gospel must be the driving force behind everything that we do. All of our ministries, the gospel has to be the driving force. If it's not, what are we doing? Why are we wasting our time? Why are you giving your money to support these ministries if they are not putting forth the gospel? I want you to understand this too, church. The gospel is not just something that we respond to once in our lives, at one moment in our lives. The gospel is there for us to turn to in every instant of our life. You see, I am, I am convinced that, that we relegate the gospel to a one-time event when we placed our faith in Christ and we say, yes, I responded to the gospel message and then we walk away. No, the gospel should affect your life every day. It should be the driving force of your life. The only hope for our world today, church, is the gospel. The only hope for America is the gospel. The only hope for the state of Texas is the gospel. The only hope for Fayette County is the gospel. In church, the only hope for LaGrange, Texas, our community in which we live. Some of you that live in Smithville, West Point, all around here, the only hope for your community in which you live is the gospel. And God is calling on you to get the gospel message out where you live I wonder, who, were, who will there be this week that God brings across your path that he wants you to share the gospel with? As we close, listen to the words of Paul again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, let us feel the burning in our hearts. Let us feel the burning in our souls to proclaim the gospel to those around us. For it is the only hope that we have. Now, Father, as we move into a time of invitation, my prayer today is that if there be anyone in this congregation that has never responded to the gospel message, they've never placed their faith or trust in Jesus Christ, I pray right now, Father, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would compel them, Father, to give their lives to you and to follow you, Lord. God, maybe there are those here today that have already responded to the gospel. There was a moment in their, in their lives when they heard the gospel and they responded, but then they left the gospel there. God, would you reignite their hearts with a passion for the gospel? Help them to see, God, that the gospel is not just for a moment in time, but it's for every day of their lives, that they can turn to the gospel and find power there, Lord. May you be glorified in this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. This is an opportunity for you to respond to what's been said today.
It's also an opportunity, if you need prayer, to come and to be prayed for. There'll be people here to receive.